All right, before we jump into this chapter, chapter two, I got to give it up to you guys, okay? We finally got through one chapter of the Bible, which means we have 1,188 more to go. Uh, that will be fun. But once um, there, were, there was a team of scientists, some of you guys may have read on this and know about this, they were at a convention and they decided since they're now able to clone people, manipulate genetics, and uh, perform technological marvels, uh, the human race, they don't have a need for God any longer. Thus, the scientists, they nominated a representative and sent him to God to break the news. Well, God waited patiently for the scientists as he spoke on behalf of all his colleagues. Finally, God proposed a test. Let's have a man-making contest. Let's both make a man just the way I made Adam. And we'll see who does a better job. And the scientist accepted. No problem! But as he squatted to grab a handful of dirt, God stopped him. Whoa! What do you think you're doing? Get your own dirt. <laughs> so, back to creation, guys. We know that on the third day, God rolled back the waters into seas, and then dry land appeared. So God prepared some dirt for his crowning creation. And then on the sixth day from the dirt, from the dust of the ground, we are told that he created his masterpiece, man. So the human was special. God created the man in his own image and according to his own likeness. And he gave him responsibility. His responsibility was to rule over all of his creation. So Genesis 1 provides for you and I, guys, a sweeping overview of the six days of creation. Whereas we look today at chapter 2, it shines a spotlight on creation of man specifically and the woman. And we're going to read here in chapter 2. Uh, it really summarizes for us in verse 1, chapter 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So God rested not to replenish his energy. Do you guys know that God is all-powerful? Okay, he, he doesn't need to rest to gain back some strength. He's not like you and I. But what's the point, then, of him resting on the seventh day? Well, the point of continually creating, if you never take time to appreciate the results of your work, you're going to miss out on the point of it. God has rested from his creation, and he's enjoying his creation. And we guys need to take one day off in seven, kick back, and enjoy the works of our labor. Do you guys know that it's okay to rest? Do you know that it's biblical to rest? We need to do that. Yeah, I'm preaching to myself right now. <laughs> we need to do it. The Sabbath was created for man. So God created the universe in six days. Then on the seventh day, he created an example. And that's why we're told God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So notice man was made on the sixth day. Think about this with me for a second which means his first full day was what? Rest! 
oh, this earth thing, being alive thing, this is awesome. I get to rest and hang with God? Yeah, pretty cool. So Adam rested with God before he ever labored for God. That's the point I want you and I to catch as we consider that reality. Let me say that again. Adam rested with God before he rested or labored for God. Here's a vital lesson for you and I. So often we want to jump in to serve the Lord. Okay, How many of you guys have recently got saved in the last year or two? All right. Think about it. When we first get saved, what do you want to do? You want to go win the world for Jesus, right? I want to serve. I want to do. Do, 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 do. It's good to rest. I think about the Apostle Paul. I like him. You know, we think, how did the heck did he do tent making and plant churches and go to the world preaching the gospel to all these unbelievers? How did he accomplish all that and have time to write most of the New Testaments? You know? You guys know that God took Paul out? I think it was 14 years, wasn't it? You're going to sit. You're going to learn. You're going to rest. And then I'm going to send you. Guys, it's okay to rest. King David was anointed many years before he ever sat on the throne as king. That is okay. So, we need to learn to rest. Resting with God always precedes laboring for God. Look at verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So verse 4 here begins with what some uh, mistakenly take as a second creation, contradictory to the account of creation. In reality, it's the same account, but it's from a different angle. Okay? Um, I'm loving my smartphone. The thing I love about my smartphone is it has a camera on it. How many of you guys just love that? And just wherever I am, it's just like, oh, it's not, I wish I had my camera with me. <laughs> Hang on a second. I got it. But when we take pictures of things, there's times where, hey, I need a wide shot. Okay? I need to take in all that's going on. I want to catch it all. And then there's other times I take my camera and I want to focus in specifically on something, something beautiful, right? <laughs> you guys know Ozzy's beautiful. Um, and we want to focus on that specific thing. And that's what God's doing here with the creation account, okay? Chapter one, we have this beautiful overview, everything that went down. Now I want to focus in on man, okay? My crowning creation, man and woman. So a common characteristic, um, really, when it comes to Semitic literature, um, is to tell a story. And then the Jews like to tell it again in a different way. That's just how they roll. Well, where'd they learn that? Well, probably from God, right? That's what he's doing here. So again, let's take a look at verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth. They were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. So in other words, guys, this was no agricultural thing until man had sinned. Okay, then he was forced to work by the sweat of his brow. So there were wild oats. There weren't fields yet. Verse, uh, it goes on to say, Then for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So here's a, 
a description of pre-flood ecology, okay? Uh, some Bible scholars, they believe that before the flood, that there was this huge water canopy that was around the earth, okay, which would hold temperatures consistent. On, it kind of be like a rainforest. Some people ask, well, what about the dinosaurs? How'd they get so big? Well, you guys know if that was true, the living conditions would be perfect for a lizard to grow, okay? And you know, man lived a long time back then. Do you guys know lizards never stop growing? Well, how those dinosaurs, they're lizards. They just keep growing. <laughs> yeah, they get big. But anyways, um, since there was no air movement, there was no rain. Uh, that's what they theorize on there. But anyways, the earth was irrigated by heavy dews or the subterranean streams. Uh, the whole earth was really a tropical paradise. And we're told in verse 7, uh, recaps a birthday here, and the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. I think that is so cool. So we looked at two Hebrew words as we considered creation, uh, ashash, which is to assemble, and we looked at bara, which means to create out of nothing. But here we have another Hebrew word now, and this is translated for you and I, formed. Okay, that's yaster, Y-A-T-S-A-R, which means to squeeze into shape, to conform something, to make a mold of it. So it depicts a potter's uh, skillful mastery of clay. That's kind of what is being said here. So here God plays in the dirt and he squeezes the shapes and makes, creates man. Pretty cool. It reminds me of Psalm 103, verse 14, if you're taking notes, for God knows our frame and he remembers that we are but, that's right, your butt dust. <laughs> that's what the scriptures say. <laughs> You guys read it too, right? <laughs> so the fact of Adam, Adam, I mean the root of his name, guys, literally means earth or dirt, okay? So God, by naming Adam, Adam, he's calling him dusty, you know, <laughs> out of the dirt. I'm going to form you, right? Uh, he was just a dust ball. So we should really realize our inherent frailty and our insignificance and we need to learn to lean on God. We are not, we're butt dust. We're nothing. We lean on God. He is everything. And the only reason we have any worth is because He has given it to us. He has created us in His image, where His image bears, guys. That's where we have worth. Look around the room real quick. Every single person in this room, whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter who you are here. Every single one of us have worth. We are special because we've been created in the image of God. I think that's pretty cool. So human beings are dust, but we're more than dust, aren't we? You see, human life is sacred and it is valued for two reasons. First, we bear the fingerprints of the master artist, our creator, God Almighty, right? So we're God's handiwork, we're made in his image. And secondly, guys, God not only formed a man, but he breathed. Did you guys catch it? He breathed into his nostrils, breath of life. God gave life, and man became a living being. So God is the author of life, but to man, 
the gift got personal because God breathed his own life into the man. And of all the creatures, think about the creation account. We spent weeks studying it. All the other creatures, guys, man alone was given the spirit that would last forever. All of life is a gift, but human life is sacred. That's why in utero or in old age, it should be respected and it should be protected. Amen? Amen. Yeah, I'm pro-life if you guys don't know that. Why, Pastor? Um, Because God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. If God gives life, who are we to take life? We do not have that right. All right, I could preach all morning on that. But we're getting through two chapters. Check out verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he put the man whom he formed. The word Eden means delights. Wow, that sounds like a wonderful garden. My garden's not delightful. There's weeds. But Eden was delightful. And here the Lord personally plants a garden of delights just to satisfy the man that he has created. And do you guys know what the coolest part of Eden was? Isn't that where Adam and Eve got to walk with God, fellowship with him, hang with him? Oh boy. Okay, I'm going to keep this short because we've got two chapters. Okay. There are things in heaven that are awesome. And there are things, blueprints that God has given to us as we study the scriptures that point to heavenly realities. And one of those things, do you guys know what the Old Testament, actually the Bible speaks about more than any other thing? No. I mean, it's all about God. The volume of the book is about Jesus. But specifically, it speaks about the temple. Have you guys ever caught that when you're reading the Bible? Like, why are we talking about the temple again? Why has the temple come up? Why are there chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters about making this temple when we're studying creation, which is totally awesome, totally huge, it's everything, and we just covered that in a couple chapters, and we're going to talk about this temple over and over and over again? Because there is a heavenly reality. I even believe in creation. Catch me. Did you guys catch where Eden was? The garden specifically. Where was it in Eden? It was to the east. Guys, picture the temple with me, right? There was the holy of holies, and then there was the most holy, the holy of holies of holies, okay? So you got the holy place where the priests would do their work. They would come, but they couldn't meet with God. They weren't able to fellowship. But to the east of the temple, what do we have? We got the holy of holies. No one could go in there because of our sin, There was a sin problem by the time the temple was built. Day of Atonement, one time a year, if the priest made the right sacrifices and cleansed himself from sin correctly, he was able to enter in one day a year. But often even the high priest would die from being in the presence of the Lord. But we have Adam and Eve here, pre-sin, pre-fall, pre-curse, right? They were able to live in perfection without sin, and have fellowship with God. Where? In Eden, east in this garden. So I think even in creation of the garden, we're seeing heavenly realities being poured out. 
But the point of it, these heavenly things, realities, whether we're talking about the Garden of Eden having fellowship or the temple, the Holy of Holies, God has created us to be near to Him. Do you understand that? Even today, guys, well, what about now? Well, we read something happened when Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago. What happened in the temple? That huge curtain that divided that most holy place from everyone else. Okay, Those five huge curtains. They were rent, torn from top to bottom. God was saying, hey, <laughs> my son, the perfect sacrifice has died. And it ripped right down the middle. Open house, come on in as you are. Draw near. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't have to be a high priest. You don't even have to be a priest. Anybody can come now. Come to me. We've been created to be near to God. So even in creation, guys, or whether we're reading those chapters on the temple, there is this overall arching theme of a heavenly reality of fellowship with God. And do you guys know that's what's going to happen when we die and we go to be with Him forever, hanging with Him in heaven? The best part of it is going to actually be fellowship with God. That's what we've been created for. That nearness. It's beautiful. And I love it. How many guys enjoy fellowship with God? Okay. How many guys are more fleshy than you are spiritual? How many guys wish you could just walk in the Spirit 100% of the time? I'm kind of more of like 99% flesh, 1% Spirit. I don't know if you guys can testify to that, but there's just like, man, this is so sweet when I am in the Spirit, closeness to the Lord. It's just the best thing ever. There's nothing like it, you know? But then I live in the flesh most of the time, and it's just like, what am I doing? That's why I'm bald. I'm like, what am I doing? You know? <laughs> I know better than this. Anyways, we're really getting through two chapters. That is a total side note. But isn't that cool that Eden is in the east? Have any of you guys ever seen that before? That is so rad. Anyways, did we look at verse 8 yet? The Lord God planted a garden. Yeah, that's what we were just talking about. Eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom, had, whom he had formed. And then it, we, we see it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight and good for food, the tree of life, was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. So two trees, special significance. Now a river, we're told, went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there, it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first was Pishon, and uh, it is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good, Bedellum and the onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. And it is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Sedekal, which another name for that is the Tigris River. And it is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So the mention of the Tigris guys in the Euphrates causes some scholars to believe that the Garden of Eden was probably um, in southern Iraq. Um, but do you guys know there was a huge flood that we're going to read about in a few chapters, which probably changed the landscape and how rivers actually look today? Okay, so we don't know that for sure. Could be. I don't know. Verse 15, then the Lord God, because wouldn't it be cool to know where Eden was? You know? Like, I was in Jerusalem a year ago today. I was chilling in Jerusalem, you know? 
And if we have sometime, someday, there's a good defense to make biblically that actually Jerusalem is Eden. We might get into that sometime at some point. But it's just, while I was there, I was just like, oh, this could be, because this is really, really cool. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, verse 15, <clears throat> Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. How, how many of you guys like gardening? Do we have any gardeners here? I've tried. My thumbs are anything but green. Um, but notice Adam. Okay, he's given this perfect garden, perfect environment, yet he still has work to do. Did you guys catch that? There is work to do. God has created us to work. You know, some of us don't want to work. No, we've been created to work. That's part of what was given here. There's still jobs to do. So God puts him in charge of tending and keeping the garden. So granted, it was an easy job because there wasn't the fall yet, and there were no weeds at this time, and there was this mist that we read about, right? Just watering everything. You didn't even have to water things. It just happened. So all Adam had to do is do what? Oh, I gotta go pick some food to eat today. So hard, right? I kind of feel like that going to the grocery store. I try to explain to my kids, just like, hey, if we have the privilege of having steak, which we don't often, but when we do, do you guys like understand all that it took to get this chunk of meat on our table? Okay, even all these veggies that we're eating as sides, okay, you don't see a garden in our backyard, you know? They just don't grow in these cute little, you know, plastic bags for us to buy at the store. <laughs> just the reality, I think we don't live in reality because we want everything easy. We want everything like Eden was. Well, sorry to tell you, we're not going to have that until Jesus returns, but it's something to look forward to. I can't wait just to be chilling and just plucking steaks off trees or something. Like, it'd be wonderful. Anyways, uh, we often think that paradise uh, is a place that's void of work, but we see that there is work here. So we think when we get to heaven that we'll just swing in hammocks all day long, but that's not going to be so, guys. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but there's going to be things for us to be doing. You're not just going to you know, be chilling on a cloud getting chubby that's okay there's going to be things for us to do in heaven but it's not work itself okay um that's made work so hard it's the curse which we're going to get to in, in a little bit here but god made each of us um meaningful with purpose to do something that's the point some sort of well i'm falling apart <laughs> i i I went through this. I, I can't do what I used to do. I'm disabled now. Great. Do what you can do, okay? God has you here for a reason, okay? I know a lot of us, we love here in the West. Um, I'm, I'm getting to that age. We never talked retirement, but I'm starting to get a little older, and a lot of my friends, peers, they're talking retirement plans, what it's going to look like. Do you guys see retirement taught anywhere in the Scripture? Man, we run the race until God calls us home. We fight that good fight of faith to the day he calls us home. We are to be about his business. And let me tell you what, I look at what we've made retirement to do as a Christian, I just look at it as more time to serve the Lord. I mean, praise God. I mean, if you sweat and beat your butt and <laughs> you get to retire someday, you know, I want to finish well, okay? I, I, love, I love seeing athletes when they go out with a bang. You know, it's just like, man, they fought hard all the way to the end. 
you know, and that's what we want to do. The saints of old, man, the ones who ran the race well, what godly examples for you and I. So verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, or <coughs> commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I want us to remember there were plenty of trees for them to choose from in the Garden of Eden, but one was forbidden. Only one. Think about this. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not partake of it. So God placed the forbidden fruit within Adam's reach as a way to demonstrate his love. So for love to be meaningful, it needs to be volitional. Does that make sense? If you love, okay, but you don't have no other choice, that's a hollow love. That's not a real, you know, if I had a shotgun to my wife's back, like, you got to marry me, woman. <laughs> okay, I guess so. What type of love is that? That's perverse. It doesn't work. That's why Calvinism doesn't jive with me. You guys familiar with Reformed teaching? God has chosen you and you have no choice. Wait, God is love. And we're told all over Scripture to choose Him. We're called all over Scripture to make the choice to follow Him. You guys understand that? Because if God just forced you to be in relationship with him, that does not sound like love to me. That's not the character of what God is revealed as in Scripture. So when it comes to that Reformed theology, saying God's picked some and hasn't picked others, I'm just like, that does not fit biblically at all. Love is patient. Okay, Love does not force itself upon anybody. Love waits. And God is waiting today for people to say yes to him. Because he does love all people. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. He gave himself for the world. That's what the Bible teaches. But it's on the world to believe. Will they say yes to him? Because I don't know, when you consider what Jesus did on the cross, that demonstration of love, there's no greater love, guys. Can you think of any act? Nothing even comes close. So that message, that good news we get to share with the world, hey, your creator, he loves you. You're a sinner. You can't make it to heaven. You can't get it right on your own, but God did it for you because he loves you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to adopt you into his family. But you need to say yes to him. You guys understand that's a choice. So, if you don't agree with me, uh, that's fine. You can be wrong. Um... Wait a minute. Is it a choice to be wrong or was I forced by God to think this way? We're going to see free will very clearly laid out in the beginning, beginning of the Bible. This is foundational theology. And I don't understand why there are so many churches that buy into that heresy. Okay, God loves this world. Do not let Satan pervert the gospel. God loves this world. He died for this world. It doesn't make everybody saved because we have our responsibility in it. God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he's given man responsibility. And it's so cool because man, we've been made in the image of God. It's so cool. We actually can reason and think. Do you think animals, any animal, can you guys even think of one animal 
that's reasoning or even has the capabilities of reasoning through these things that we're talking about this morning? No, it's because human beings have been created for a purpose, for a reason. I'm way sidetracked. I just hate bad theology. All right, thus, God gave Adam an opportunity to demonstrate his love and loyalty by not eating from one of these trees. Look at verse 18 with me. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So six times in chapter 1, did you guys catch that God said of his creation that it was good? And then we're told back in verse 31, he saw that it was very good. But here we're startled because suddenly God says what? It is not good. Wait a minute. I thought creation's been all good. What's not good about creation? Where did you mess up, God? Right? God didn't mess up, did he? Uh, what was not good about God's creation here? Did you guys catch it? It was not good that man should be alone. Do you guys know that he's created us for relationship? Okay? That's why we're told not to forsake the assembling together, which is the manner of some, because of the deceitfulness of sin. I'm seeing so many people, even Christians, off the rails because part of it, they're left to themselves. And they're at home on their computers looking at what they want to look at. They're not sitting down and having real conversations with people to get real. Let's reason together. Let's think. Let's have a conversation. Do you guys know conversations are good? Okay, God has created us to be that way. So man needed a companion in the eyes of the Lord here, a human helper with whom he could share life. But just because God saw Adam's need doesn't mean Adam saw it. Okay, So this is our problem. We have our needs uh, we don't realize until God awakens that need within us. God was Adam's companion, right? They were hanging out. They were chilling in the garden together. His emotional and spiritual needs were met by God. He didn't even, <laughs> he didn't even know he needed a spouse until God revealed it to him. So if you're a single Christian, here's some wisdom for you this morning. Rather than dwell on the lack of a spouse, take your emotional needs to God. He is there for you. There is a gift of singleness that we read about in the scriptures. How is that possible? Man, enjoy Jesus. That's why we're created. Some of the sweetest times I had with the Lord was actually before I was married. Intimate. It was so cool. Um, so trust in his sufficiency. If you're single, you lean on God. And when the time is right to marry, he's going to awaken that need. He will do it in his timing. And God did it for Adam in a unique way. Let's read on. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, it was its name. So God gave Adam a job of naming the animals. That's pretty cool. So imagine one, ant, or one man finding names uh, for thousands of species. That would be pretty awesome. You, evidently, Adam was incredibly bright. Do you guys know that we're clicking at about 10% of our brain capacity? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we're not the smartest or bright. <laughs> we're only using about 10% of what God gave us. I think Adam was probably clicking at 100% before the fall. How many of you guys would agree with me, right? 
So yeah, that would be no problem for him. Um, enormous aptitude. And that's the thing that's going to be so cool when Jesus returns and we get our glorified bodies. I don't know if you guys struggle with things, trying to figure things out. It's going to be wonderful to actually have a brain that's working. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Uh, do you guys know that in ancient times, the privilege of naming um, was a function of dominion? Do you guys remember um, Daniel? He was taken captive to Babylon, and what did the Babylonians do with him and his friends immediately? Changed their names. Belteshazzar, you're being called now. Okay, uh, so that's a that's that's showing that you have dominion or authority over. Now Adam survived the animals, and it was apparent that they all had companions. Right, he had to name them, um, and they came in couples, male and female, Mister and Mrs. Giraffe, <laughs> Mister and Mrs. Zebra. Okay, so he's naming all these animals that are coming in cup, couples, uh, but the conclusion uh, must have hit him at some point. Like, where's Mr. and Mrs. Adam? Like, where, where is she? Look at verse 20. So Adam gave the names to all the cattle, the birds of the air, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. Again, if you're single, guys, I want you to notice here, uh, Adam receives his bride not when he's going canvassing on these single spots looking for a spouse. Okay, what did God do? Put him to sleep. He woke up. And there was woman, right? And God took uh, one of his ribs, we're told, and he closed up the flesh in its place. So we're not sure what it was actually a rib or not. The Hebrew word suggests something that is curved, but something was taken from Adam's side. That's what we know. So God performed the first surgery and took Eve uh, from Adam's side. It reminds me of, of little Billy who sat in Sunday school and he listened attentively to his Sunday school teacher teach on Adam and Eve. Later that morning, uh, his stomach started to ache and he complained to his teacher about the pain in his side. And she asked, I'm sorry you're sick. What do you think is wrong? He said, I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> oh, So remember on the cross, guys, we have Jesus, right? And we're told in Scripture that he's the second Adam. And as he was doing his last thing here on planet Earth, okay, dying for the sins of the world, what are we told happened to his side? They took a spear to his side. And blood and water flowed out. Do you guys know that it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us? that redeems us. You know, his bride was bought by his blood. Think about that. Really, this is a beautiful picture for us in the creation of Adam and then his wife, his bride, Eve, coming from his side. And that's what our Lord and Savior did for us and that's how the church, the bride of Christ, was born, made, fashioned for him. You guys know that's why we're here? We're here for him. Verse 22, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man and made the woman, 
And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. So when God presented to Adam his bride, he was blown away, okay? She was perfect. He had taken one look, and you see what he said? Whoa! Man! Okay? And it's stuck, right? <laughs> I'm just going to roll a woman from there. Here we go. Um, <laughs> I guess you could say when God gave Adam his wife, he was beside himself. Okay? <laughs> oh. She had come from his side, right? <laughs> she was the perfect sidekick. Come on. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Adam had it great. Babe, you're the only one in the entire world for me. Like, he said it and meant it. It was like. So let's make an observation that's not kind of goofy. Um, <laughs> whatever it was that God took from Adam, it was given to the woman. Did you guys catch that? Okay. So. From, on, from then on, there's something that's been missing in man, okay, that only woman could fulfill. So ladies, it shouldn't come as a surprise that your hubby is not all there. Okay? Just, something's missing, okay? And you got to be okay with that. So actually, when it comes to the naming of woman, uh, it's one of the most beautiful and most romantic passages in all of the scriptures. I want you guys to see what's going on here. Um, and remember, again, it was a privilege to be able to give a name, okay? Because that was speaking of the function of dominion or authority. And that Adam was allowed to name the woman tells us that God placed him in authority over her. But I want you guys to notice Men, husbands, want to be husbands someday? Catch this, okay? Look at how Adam uses his authority. The Hebrew word translated man is ish. And the word translated for woman is the same word, but in a feminine form, isha. So Adam had authority over Eve, but instead of asserting it with threats or whatever, he says, we're equal. That's what Adam, I have this authority, it's been given to me, but we're equal. He gives her his own name. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. All right. Um, Matthew Henry, he's another good commentator. I keep trying to throw out good commentators for you guys to read, okay? Um, I want to share with you what he said about this. The woman was taken from Adam's side, not from his head to rule over her, not from his feet to trample on, but from his side to be equal with him, from under his arm to, prote or to be protected, and from close to his heart to be loved. Guys, this is the way every husband should view his wife. This is it. And then we read in verse 24 that God gives a formula for marriage. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So I want you guys to notice the pattern that we see biblically. First, you leave your parents. 
No more running back to mommy and daddy when you got a problem. But you also leave old allegiances. No more flirting with the opposite sex. Okay? You need to learn to work things out with your spouse. Then you cleave. Did you guys catch that? You leave, then you cleave. So you make a lifetime commitment until death do us part, right? Till death. The D word should never be a part of the Christian's vocabulary. We don't talk divorce. If you're a Christian, till death, that's the vow you took. Till death do us part. Divorce is not an option. I can say almost 20 years of marriage, we've never said the D word. Never once. Why? Because we believe God. That's why. Okay? If we believe what we think is right, then it'd probably be thrown all around all the time. But my wife and I have chosen to trust the Lord. And that's what we do as Christians. We trust God. And then the third is we weave new life together. Okay? So the expression, they became one flesh. It's a euphemism for sexual oneness, but that's just one way marriage uh, is experiencing unity, guys. There's harmony, there's considerations, cooperation. Okay, there's that created oneness that God does as we do life with our spouses. And I also want us to notice the result of leaving, cleaving, and weaving is conceiving. Look at verse 25. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So they had a transparent and accepting relationship. Nothing was hidden or held back. There was no baggage or hang-ups. They gave to each other freely. And I think that's the way God intends marriage to be. Okay, That's why we keep ourselves pure. That's why we don't have sex outside of marriage. We don't want to bring baggage in. Can God redeem things and purify and make whole? Absolutely. God's in the business of making things new. But when we just do things his way, isn't it beautiful when we don't have to have baggage? Okay, So I want to encourage you, if you are young and single, save yourself for your spouse. Okay, I've been teaching this to my kids since they couldn't even talk yet. We were talking marriage realities. So when we have talks about marriage, singleness, you know, life now, temptations that are going to come your way, how to treat a woman, okay, the type of man, shalom, you should be looking for. You know, we're able to have those conversations. It's not weird because we've always been having them. So I want to encourage you, mom and dad, have these conversations with your kids. Talk to them why it's important. Talk to marriage why it's important. Because a lot of times, guys, they're seeing, hey, this is what our Christian family believes. I even heard pastor this last week teach on marriage, but this is not what I'm seeing in my home. We don't talk about these things. No, we need to have these conversations with our kids. Okay? Now I'm even telling my kids that they have to let me be part of their marriage process someday. Okay? I'm not going to say you have to marry this gal or this guy, but hey, I love you guys. You know, I want to be there for you. I want to work with you in that. But ultimately, there's a leaving that happens. Okay? And some of you guys are still clinging to mommy and daddy. Okay? If you're married, you need to let go. That season of life. Not that we don't do life with them, love them, respect them, but hey, we are now our own family. Okay? I've given myself to my spouse. <laughs> We're doing life together. We stand before the Lord. So we could talk a lot more about that. Um, which... Joe and Kelly are here. You guys want to raise your hand? Okay. Joe's one of our, late, our, our elders here at the church. 
Kelly is one of the raddest sisters you'll meet. Um, <laughs> they do marriage uh, counseling ministry here at the church, and they love doing it. Like, I definitely see the hand of the Lord upon you guys and just the giftedness uh, that you have. And part of it is God's just giving you guys a heart for it. And I don't know about you guys, but when we get together for men and women's prayer, we're so often praying for our spouses and our marriages because we know Satan loves to attack marriages. So I want to encourage you guys, get to know the couples in the church here. Be praying for one another, encouraging one another in marriage. Because it's not easy. Anybody got an easy marriage? Oh, Smiths are the only ones that raise their hands. You guys are awesome. I'm going to come hang out with you. Uh, <laughs> you see, the thing is, and it's because of Jesus. You know, and that's when I find the sweetness in marriage is when we're both in that sweet spot with Jesus. Okay, we're centered on him. That's the key. Okay, and if you're thinking about getting married, make sure the person loves Jesus just as much as you or more if it's a man. Okay, um, anyways, we could talk marriage all day long. We got to move on. Um, the end of chapter two, something I want us to catch, guys, is that Adam and Eve have got it made. Okay. At this point, in this dispensation, in the Garden of Eden, in the perfect environment, okay, they had a ranch house in paradise. You guys got the picture in your head? Okay, they had it made. Fruit to munch on all day long. They were madly in love with one another. I mean, Adam could even tell a joke, and no one would say, hey, I've heard that one before. I mean, the guy had it made. Uh, but in chapter 3, we're going to see the wheels come off here. They make a mistake that a lot of couples make. Okay, they stop putting God first in their hearts and in their lives, in their marriage, and everything falls apart. And look at uh, who they meet in verse 1. Now the serpent, who was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Understand, guys, this was not simply a serpent. This was a snake embodied Satan himself. This is who this snake was. We're told in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, when Satan had finally bound for that thousand years, um, he was called the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. So we're told very clearly, the snake is Satan. So in the beginning, Satan had tried to stop God's creation. Now he's trying to spoil it here. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? So notice Satan's strategies, guys. Rather than remind Eve that God gave them thousands of trees that they could eat from, what did Satan highlight? The negative. And that's what he does, guys. Okay? I've struggled with depression over the years. Okay? Praise God by his grace. I'm in a season that has gotten a lot better, and I thank him for that. But it's easy for our thinking to go negative all the time. And where does that come from? It's coming from those fiery diets, the lies of the enemy, okay? God wants us to set our minds on things that are pure, that are lovely, that are right, okay? And we can start believing lies, and that's where we always want to go back to is the negative, and we can find ourselves living in the negative. That's not of the Lord. Recognize it for what it is, and that's where we renew our minds by getting in the word of God. What do you say, God? So when you're feeling negative, pick up the word of God. Okay? You might not feel like it's true, but it's true. I'm going to agree with you, God, even though I don't feel like it, because I know you're right. So, um, we we're told here, uh, he said to the woman, has God said, or indeed said, you shall not eat of the tree 
Um, and Satan's strategy, okay, rather than remind Eve that God gave them all these trees they could eat from, okay, what's God holding back from you? You guys ever feel like that's how Satan whispers? You know what God's holding back from you? That's totally from the enemy. Satan tries the same strategy today with us. He focuses on God's few uh, prohibitions rather than the millions of ways that he betters our lives. Think about that. There's grace trees everywhere, guys. They're all around. But why do we get so fixated on the one we can't? You know what? Because that's where Satan wants to get us. He wants us to be ripped off. Look at, it's legalism. You guys understand that? And that's why the Bible warns us over and over again, you know, not to get caught up into legalism. You know, this thing. No, there's so much grace there. We're told in the Bible there's grace upon grace upon grace. Okay? Grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, guys. Verse 2 says, And the woman said to the serpent, Oh, that's her first mistake, right? Okay? Uh, she converses with the devil. Satan is a skilled tempter. That's why the moment you talk or negotiate with him, man, that's not a good place to be in. Okay, don't even entertain him. When Satan wants to talk, you just say, no, uh uh-uh. I'm not having this conversation. Also notice, uh, (laughs) here she's talking to a snake, okay? And she doesn't even act surprised, does she? Like, okay, we're going to have a conversation. Uh, some commentators suggest here that all animals before the fall probably talked. Um, imagine carrying on a conversation with your dog. You know, you know what? Are, you know what are you barking at? That person doesn't look sketchy. And if you know, dog, well, smells sketchy. You know, <laughs> I I don't know. That's why I don't have conversations with my dog. Anyways, Eve tells the serpent in verse 2, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So what Eve says, it's not true, okay? Um, Later, Satan will take God's word, um, or take away from God's word, but here, you guys see that Eve's adding to God's word. Don't do that, saint. Don't put more in his word than there, that is there. If you look back in chapter 2, verse 17, God said nothing about touching the fruit, just eating the fruit. So here's the first example of legalism. Eve makes uh, God's will harder and more complicated than it was intended. Okay, God just wanted them to enjoy the garden, enjoy fellowship. Just don't eat of this tree. Okay? So guys, Satan loves to promote legalism. If he can't get us to, you know, well, he wants to us just to live complicated lives. He wants us to overcomplicate our faith, what the Word of God says, um, what he demands of us. Um, and then he can tempt and give us, you know, to throw in the towel ultimately, right? Oh, this is too burdensome. This is too hard. You guys know the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome? They're not. They're there to protect us. Because he loves us. His ways are better. You guys know in Matthew eleven thirty, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's truth. That's our God. So let's look at verse 4 here. What does it say? The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
I want you guys to note with me the New Age views that Satan promotes here. First of all, you'll never die. Okay, This life is just one of many. Reincarnation. The second, don't be afraid of this forbidden fruit. Okay, Courageous experimentation is okay. Go for it. Free thinking. Let's break down traditional taboos. And there's a different path to enlightenment. And then thirdly, guys, discover the God within you. That's ultimately the big one here. You can be like God. Wow. And isn't that why we suppress the truth today? That's why we're trying to do away with God because we want to be our own gods. We want to be right. Wow. Satan hasn't changed much, has he? You see, Satan's word here sound eerily contemporary. Okay? Um, the New Age is really just an old lie. That's all it is. So if you're dabbling in New Age stuff, knock it off. Don't play with Satan, guys. Don't listen to his lies. You see, the serpent says here to Eve in verse 4, you will not surely die. So Satan tempts Eve to doubt God's word. And then next he says, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So now he wants her to doubt God's love. Satan will always try to make God out to be a bad guy. Okay, the killjoy. Wow. He says, all God wants to do is to hem you in, to take away your freedoms, to stunt your growth, to be yourself, do your own thing. You see, Satan promises Eve here freedom from God's authority. But all she ends up, up, <laughs> ends up as is really just a puppet for Satan. That's all she's doing now. A slave to her own sin. So guys, when Satan throws up doubts about God's word and God's love, don't bite. Don't bite. So what God says is true, and why he says it is because he loves you. And look what happens next. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. So here's another threefold temptation coming our way, right? It occurs throughout the scriptures. It was good for food. Okay, eat it. You'll feel great. It was pleasant to the eyes. Hold it. You'll look great. And it was desirable to make one wise. Hey, try it. You'll be great. Kind of sounds like the same temptations that we find in 1 John 2.16, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Is it not of the Father, but of the world? Right? So Satan tempts us with the three same desires. Feel great, look great, be great. Beware. Verse 6 tells us, Eve here took of its fruit and ate. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. So the universe was never, it had never been the same since then. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 17, God told Adam that if he ate the fruit, that he would surely die. Okay, and die they did spiritually, and they died. Okay, they died um, uh, instantly, spiritually speaking. But sin separated the man and the woman from God. That's what sin does. So physically, they died more slowly. Their bodies began to deteriorate. Uh, Entropy—it's kind of neat to think about. Uh, the process of decay not only affected Adam 
but the whole physical universe. Do you guys know that? It wasn't just them. We live in a fallen world. We can look out and, oh, it's so beautiful out there. Look at the trees and the rivers, and this is so wonderful. It's falling, guys! Okay? We live in a fallen world. It's not like it was in the garden there. Even Romans 8.20 says that creation was subject to fertility. So randomness invaded God's order. Sin marred God's perfect world. Malfunctions, uh, they're common today. Has everything worked out perfectly this week for you? Yeah, I have a problem. I don't know what it is. It's like everything I try to put my hands to just doesn't work out the way it does. You guys ever jump into a project? Oh, this will take me half an hour. Yeah, three days later, you're still working on that same half an hour project. Like, why doesn't it just work? Right? Um, stuff just is falling apart since then. Uh, one more detail I want us to know, guys. For some reason, everyone assumes Adam and Eve bit into an apple, uh, but that's not in the Bible, right? We're just told they partook of a fruit. So besides the old saying goes, the problem wasn't the apple on the tree. It was the pear on the ground. That was the problem. So, yeah, it's a good one. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So Eve became the only woman in history to make the statement, I don't have a thing to wear. And she actually didn't. <laughs> you know, uh, it was true. So as soon as Adam and Eve ate the forbidden uh, fruit here, uh, both, they became aware that they were naked. They didn't know this before sin. So up to this point, they were oblivious to themselves. Uh, they were God-centered, and they were others-centered. And the problem is today, guys, we're so self-centered that we're missing the things that God calls us to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. I'm looking to you. And love others as yourself. But we want to put ourselves first. That's backwards, and that's why we're a mess. Because when we're looking at ourselves, it's all about me. Um, and that's the problem with sin. You guys know what the little letter in sin is? I, I. So Eve gained the enlightenment she sought, but when her eyes were open, she didn't like what she saw. She saw God's wisdom, but from a different angle, from an angle of disobedience, and her heart was full of guilt, shame, regret. And they sewed fig leaves, we're told, together, and made themselves coverings. You guys know fig leaves are scratchy, itchy? Oh, Adam and Eve's... <laughs> um, Immediate response to sin was what? Let's hide. We need to hide our sin. And don't we do the same thing, guys? It's good to confess our sin. It's good to man up, woman up, just be real. God, I have sinned. Right? But they tried to make these green speedos out of fig leaves. I don't know. Okay, the original fruit of looms or whatever. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So what a sad picture here, okay? Uh, here's the president and first lady of creation hiding in the bushes, you know, scratching like crazy. You guys got the picture? Then the Lord called Adam and said to him, Where are you? I want us to note here the voice... It's not some angry mobster, okay, from God. Where are you? You know, I'm going to get you. How dare you? you know, that, that's not God, okay? He's not the God Father. He is God the Father. 
And when he speaks, guys, it's with a loving Father's heart. I love you. I am for you. Where are you guys? Okay? Uh, Please come home. Verse 10. So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So their first response was to hide the sin, right? Now they start to hurl. Every, uh, everyone decides to pass the buck here. I want you guys to catch this. They play the blame game. Man goes first. The woman who you gave me um, to be with me, she gave me the, the tree and I ate. So Adam here ate <laughs> arrogantly. Who's he blaming here? Okay, not only Eve, but who? God. He's blaming God. Okay, he says to God, the woman whom you gave me. Okay, so it was your fault, God, for giving me this woman. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. So she's blaming the snake now. So everyone is using that old Flip Wilson uh, that so many people laugh at. The devil made me do it. Um, God wasn't laughing here okay if you've sinned you need to stop blaming your spouse stop blaming the kids stop blaming the place of your employment your boss stop blaming your friends or your lack of salary or the devil okay knock it off God will forgive us if we first come out of the bushes stop hiding and we, we own our sin. Own our mistakes. Be real. Notice carefully what happens here. The man blames the woman. The woman blames the snake. And the snake doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> Verse 14 tells us, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. So crawl in on his belly. Um, Revelation 12, 9 pictures Satan as a dragon. Isn't a dragon just a snake with legs? God tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Guys, this this part of this verse is very easy uh, to interpret. Because verse 15, I want you guys to circle this in your Bibles. Because this is the first mention of the gospel. Okay? Be thousands of years before Jesus came, but this is the first mention of the gospel in the scriptures. Okay, Genesis three fifteen, uh, proto evangelism uh, is what they call this. Uh, but most women, you guys know that they're afraid of snakes today. How many women like snakes in this room? How many dislike snakes? You see what I'm talking about? Okay, <laughs> um, there's a dislike there. Do you guys know that normally partners in sin usually become bitter enemies and that's what happened with the snake and eve okay they like to talk but god says <laughs> uh, that there's going to be hostility that was a prophecy that was made and god will put enmity or hostility between your seed and her seed so the seed or the sperm of the woman it's a bizarre term isn't it okay nowhere does the seed belong to the woman it doesn't work that way so obviously Speaking to the gospel, this would be a unique birth, right? We know a supernatural birth with Jesus, a virgin birth. 
So I believe Genesis 3.15 refers to Jesus' virgin birth. This becomes clear in the next line. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the seed of the woman is Jesus, and on the cross, Satan bruised his heel, okay, a non-fatal blow, but Jesus crushed the serpent's head. Jesus stripped Satan of his authority on the cross. Jesus struck that decisive blow. It was a knockout punch. And the devil has no more power over the heart um, that trusts in Jesus. So he's bitten the dust. Uh, look at verse 16 here. God turns to the woman and assigns her punishment. It says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Um, ladies, giving birth, okay, the way it was intended, it was not to be a painful thing. Okay? Uh, no pain, just all gain. Uh, but that's what sin has done. Sin brought labor pains. But the woman's sentence was twofold. Your desire shall be for your husband, it goes on to say, to rule over him. So Eve was sentenced to labor pains and laboring with pain. She also saddled with the tough task of submitting to an imperfect authority. Okay, and I know that's a hard thing, sisters. Um, 1 Timothy, you can jot down chapter 2, verse 14. Paul explains how Genesis 3 affects that male-female roles today and in the church and in our homes. He reminds us Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. Okay? Adam's sin was probably worse, but because Eve was deceived in a spiritual, doctrinal manner, God has ordained man to lead and to teach. So when we abide in these biblical roles for husbands and wives, we teach half of the gospels what we're doing. Okay? We point folks back to the fact of original sin and that we need a Savior. Okay? It's Jesus. And then finally, let's wrap this up. Adam is sentenced last in verse 17. Then Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat uh, the herb of the field. So up to now, Adam's work was a breeze, but now, if he's hungry, you can't just pick some fruit. No, you got to go work for your food. If you're going to live, you need to work, and it's going to be hard. The sweat of your brow, thorns and thistles. So suddenly, work goes from breeze to burden here. Verse 19, and sweat on your face, you shall eat the bread till you turn, uh, turn to the ground. And out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. So before man's sin, work was no sweat, <laughs> no more here, guys. Now because of his sin, the man would never again get the job, uh, reward equal of what you put in to get out of it. Uh, it's just going to be hard. Um, I'm going to skip a little bit here. Jump down to verse 20. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. That's what Eve means, life giver. Um, verse 21. Uh, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Uh, God didn't like their fruit of the looms that they made. Okay, But it's really speaking here to sacrifice. Okay? Uh, death of an animal there had to be a sacrifice made 
to cover your sin. I don't want us to miss that. There's a lot more I want to say about it, but for time's sake, we're not gonna. Do you guys get the point? Okay, death had to happen, okay, to cover that sin. Um, Verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, a man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden, a flaming sword which turned every way, I think that'd be really cool to see, to guard the way of the tree of life. So here are the first cops, the angels who guard this tree of life. That God drives out Adam and Eve here from the garden. It sounds like harsh punishment, guys, but apparently God's actions were laced in mercy. And we see that as we grasp the whole of Scripture, as we understand the gospel, okay? Um, If Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life when they were fallen, sinful state would have lived forever apart from God. And that's not a good place to be in. Only after the penalty of sin was paid in full, and that happened when? When Jesus died on the cross, right? Does God open up again a way for us to the tree of life? That's the beauty of the gospel. And for you who are in Christ, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Okay? It's a beautiful story. You guys see why the beginning of Genesis is so foundational for us to understand our faith? Okay, we need to understand this stuff and get it. There's so much more that could be said, but this stuff is here for us to bank on, to understand, to find a firm foundation. Why are things the way they are? Okay, it's not the way they were intended. Why, God? Well, we sinned. We disobeyed. We made a choice, and we're reaping the consequences of it. But God didn't leave us with that to ourselves. He came in and did what we couldn't. Okay? He has given us life in his son Jesus. And Jesus is coming back, guys. And things will be set right. That's what I love. Things are going to be made right once again the way God intended. So I look forward to that day. That's why we're told to pray for the Lord to come to return. So Father, that's what we want to do in closing together. God, we confess our sin. We have fallen short, each and every one of us. But yet, in your great mercy, you chose to love us. You chose to come to make things right. Lord, to be that perfect sacrifice that can atone for our sins completely. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you so much for the hope that we have uh, as believers, knowing that you are going to come back one day. (laughs) You, You spoke over and over again. Lord, even there in Genesis 3, all the way back there, Uh, we saw the gospel and you did it you were faithful you came lord and you did what we couldn't thank you so much for that thank you for the hope that we have help us lord to be uh, just emboldened to share that good news with others lord there's so many people that are walking around uh, just broken they know they live in a broken world Uh, they see the effects of sin all around them and they don't know uh, what the remedy is they don't have the solution but we know that you're it, Jesus, and uh, we want to share that with this world. So please, you give us opportunity and place to do that. Thank you so much for your word. God, this stuff is 
uh, so needed for us, especially in the days that we're living, Lord. God, help us to trust you, to believe you, Father. Uh, bless my brothers and sisters, God. Bless their marriages. Bless my single brothers and sisters. Help them to keep leaning on you, trusting in you, Father. Just help us to look to you. God, we know you're the answer. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen.